Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Marcus Weibel from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems. In this first episode, we'll be talking to Dario Floriano, who is the head of the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems here in Lausanne, Switzerland. Professor Floriano is mainly known for his pioneering role in the field of evolutionary robotics, and he has made significant contributions to the fields of artificial neural systems, artificial life, evolutionary computation, swarm robotics, and biomimetic electronics. He has also co-organized several international conferences and is on the editorial board of eight international journals. Most importantly, he's the initiator and chief editor of this podcast. Hi, Dario. Welcome to Talking Robots. Hi, Marcus. Since this is the very first episode of Talking Robots, we won't be talking about your work, but instead a little bit about this podcast. Could you tell us what Talking Robot is all about? Yeah, Talking Robots is about interviews to leading people or leading figures in the field of robotics and artificial intelligence. And the reason for, for doing this is that uh, both robotics and artificial intelligence over the last, I would say, 10 or 15 years have progressed dramatically. And uh, they have entered our daily life, on the one hand. They have entered business, so we start to have commercial applications of these two fields. And also there are an increasing number of tools and toys for kids to start when they are very young to play with these concepts. So uh, I thought it was a good idea to start a podcast where we talk to people who are advancing this field, both in research, in applications, and in business to let people understand what is going on in this area. And uh, one of the other things that I would like to, to, to do with this podcast is to uh, explain, to let these people explain the basic concepts in very simple terminology so that we can get an idea of what, what is going on. Now, there are a few podcasts on the web in, in robotics and AI, and they are excellent. Just uh, my feeling is that uh, they are not really addressing the people who are advancing the fields. And that's why I think this podcast makes sense. Okay, you mentioned robotics and artificial intelligence, AI, and it seems to me that historically the two have common roots. Yeah, they actually uh, progressed together for a long time. However, if we look at history a little bit, we see that robotics is older than artificial intelligence. Already in the ancient Greeks, about 2,500 years ago, they started to play around with the idea of building machines that can somehow move or perform actions in the environment. And um, Leonardo da Vinci also, in the 15th century, he actually devised the first automata, we could call it today. It was like a machine that was supposed to be a warrior that would move around and would move like a person, but it had no person inside. And in the 18th century, the uh, Drotz brothers, for example, in, in Switzerland, just to mention our country here, they devised a number of uh, automata that were very small machines uh, uh, that were animated by uh, clock-like devices that could, for example, write or perform a number of actions. So this was, if you like, uh, the first steps in robotics. Of course, the name robotics came much later. It was in uh, 1921 when the Czech writer uh, Karel Kapek coined this name. He wrote a novel, and uh, in this novel, basically, robots were uh, 
compulsory labor, so were workers that had to work uh, um, under some obligations. And then the name was really made public uh, or was much more diffused, if you like, by the writer, the science fiction writer Asimov, who in uh, 1940 wrote uh, a first novel uh, called The Runaround, where the name Robert was mentioned much more in detail. So what were the first robots built? Interestingly, the, those machines that were developed in the past that I just mentioned were not really robots, in my opinion, because they could move in the environment, but they had no way of perceiving the environment. So if we take perception into account, the, I would say that one of the first robots was built by Gray Walter in 1950. He was a telecommunication engineer in, in the UK, and he built a a rubber that was uh, like a small, uh, I would say roughly 20 centimeters long, uh, almost circular uh, device that had the light sensors. And these light sensors were using the technology of the time, so they were basically very simple analog devices that would record the amount of intensity. And this uh, difference in voltages, in electrical voltages, were then passed on to motors that would move around, steer around the robot. So these robots were reactive to sensory stimulation from the environment and was performing a number of actions. An interesting point that was made by Gray Walter was that if you were an external observer simply looking at this robot, it looked like this robot was performing a v number of very intelligent tasks, like, for example, hiding, seeking light, uh, going to rest, uh, exploratory behavior, things like this. The very first useful robot, so to speak, <laughs> or robot put at use, was instead developed in 1960, roughly, by um, a company called Unimation in, uh, in the US. They built um, the first manipulator. It was uh, basically a robotic arm that could perform a number of actions in a repetitive and very precise fashion. And this was uh, actually shipped to General Motors and then Fiat, the Italian manufacturing company. Many of them were used for several years to, assembly car, to assemble cars, and still today they are, they are used for, for this task. And assembly robots are uh, probably the most dominant application of robotics this day. Now... The Unimate robot was different from the Grey Walter robot because it had the chip inside, so uh, it had a sort of computer that was processing the sensory information or the conditions for performing some actions. And then I just want to mention, to, just as a, one of the first robots, the, the, the robot Shaky, developed by, uh, by a team led by Niels Nilsson at uh, Stanford University, who was a robot that had vision and could operate intelligently, so to speak, in the environment by uh, taking decisions on what to do. So you mentioned assembly robots are the most common today. And what has always captured people's imagination really is our autonomous robots, machines that move around and that, that think and that take their own decisions. This has not happened or only to a very, very limited extent. Why? Well, I, I don't fully agree with, with this. Uh, I, I agree there are perhaps not so many applications, commercial applications of those robots. But if you... Go around the research labs these days, you will see many of these, so to speak, uh, autonomous or intelligent robots that do a number of things uh, without human intervention. And they can mimic some of the abilities that animals and, and to some extent also humans have. Uh, of course, they are still in the lab. 
But uh, I would say that over the last five years, or, or a little bit more than that, we start to see autonomous robots being sold in shops. Uh, for example, without mentioning companies, but just the applications, we see that there are robots for vacuum cleaning. Uh, in houses, you can buy them for a few hundred dollars and they would clean your room. Or, for example, they would... Uh, um, uh, cut the grass in your garden autonomously or they would do for example some other operations like surveillance of, of, of buildings so some of these robots are really autonomous and I think um, they they are somehow a spin-off of all the research in artificial intelligence and robotics over the last years now there is a problem in a sense of uh, um, developing more autonomous and intelligent robots. And this problem, I would say, is not so much the technology, but is the psychological acceptance and reliability of these robots. I would say that today we can build more sophisticated robots and we could even sell them, but the question is whether we are ready to accept those robots live with us. The other issue is that, of course, if you have these robots that take autonomous decisions, at some point you want to know uh, what decision they will take and whether those decisions are the good ones uh, for you. Now, there is also, just to, to close this issue, I think there is also an issue of uh, cultural acceptance. And if you look at, the, for example, Japanese societies, we see many more robots there because people are ready to accept them and they are ready to, to leave them as if they were almost like living systems, whereas in the Western society, I would say, we tend to think of them as machines and therefore we don't like to have many of these machines controlling, so to speak, or affecting our life. Okay, so let's move on to, to artificial intelligence, to AI. Is there a good definition of artificial intelligence? Whether there is a good definition, I'm not sure, and I, I, I think there are many definitions, and depending on what is most important for, for a researcher or for a particular application, you might stress one definition or another. But the name artificial intelligence was coined in 1956 at a meeting at the Dartmouth College in the U.S., uh, organized by McCarthy, Minsky and Shannon and interestingly then Minsky uh, a few years later founded the uh, Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at MIT. I would say that artificial intelligence generally speaking is the effort of uh, creating computer programs or machines that uh, display so to speak intelligent behavior and can manipulate very complex data or can operate in very complex environments without human intervention. Of course, this, uh, if you like, leaves the question of open of what intelligence is really, and there are many definitions for, for that. I've heard people talk about strong AI. What is that? Yeah, that is interesting because it was, we, we speak sometimes about strong and weak AI, and this uh, dichotomy, this distinction was first put forward by uh, a philosopher, Searle, in an article in uh, 1980. And what he meant by that, with strong AI, he meant um, the uh, approach or the people, the researchers who believe that in principle it is possible to build a machine that will eventually behave and think and act just like a human being and therefore also have all the uh, characteristics of human intelligence like emotions and consciousness. Weak AI instead is a different approach, doesn't go so far, and simply takes uh, artificial intelligence as valid or as legal, legally defined as artificial intelligence, if you like, 
if it is capable of replicating some of the abilities uh, that we define as intelligence. For example, the ability to go uh, very quickly on very complex data, recognize a face, for example, in, uh, in out of very noisy images. But I think that this distinction is not very fruitful these days because it basically relies on a, on a view of artificial intelligence as centered on the brain, uh, which was the original definition of artificial intelligence. It's somehow attempting to copy the brain. And I would say that modern approaches in, in artificial intelligence have expanded beyond that. And today we see that artificial intelligence is not only looking at the brain, it's looking also at the cells. They think that individual cells of an organism can display uh, intelligent behavior. They look at a full organism that not only have a brain, but also can interact with the environment. So they have sensors and actuators, robots, for example. And they look also at intelligence as a collective phenomenon by looking at a collection of individuals that cooperate, uh, organize their behavior in a, in a dynamic way. And also, in, in, in the past, I would say artificial intelligence was mainly focused with learning because learning is a property of the brain. And today we see that modern approaches in artificial intelligence encompass other adaptation principles like evolution, development, and immune systems that protect us from uh, pathogens or viruses. So I would say that the distinction between weak and strong AI I would, is not really very useful these days. And uh, what are the current hot topics uh, in AI and artificial intelligence today? Okay, again, this is, I think, a question that whose answer depends to your interest in, in the field. Uh, I would say that today the hot topics is really devising uh, machines, computer programs, or robots, if you like, that are capable of operating autonomously in changing and partially unpredictable environments. Because over the past uh, 50 years, actually this year is the 50th anniversary of artificial intelligence, but over the last 50 years we have mainly seen algorithms and robots that are capable of operating quite efficiently in uh, so-called predefined or static environments. And the question is how these robots or these machines or computer programs can continuously adapt or self-organize so to cope without human intervention in, in these changing environments. That's a really a hot topic for which there is not a clear answer yet. Another, I, I would say, hot topic today is really trying to couple these software computer programs or, or, if you like, artificial intelligence that lives simply in a computer with a robotic body. And, and the coupling between these two is not as trivial as one could think. It's not possible to take an artificial intelligence program, put it into a robotic body, and hope that it will work. So the, there has been an increasing uh, awareness over the last 20 years that the development of the robotic body and the development of the artificial intelligence, so to speak, within that body must go hand in hand. And finally, although I don't really think it, for me at least, it's not an interesting topic, but definitely there are a lot of researchers these days that are starting to address the issue of machine consciousness. And uh, they try to see what type of ingredients or principles could be put in these computer programs or in these robots so that eventually the machine could be uh, called as conscious. Uh, what are the main applications of AI today? Can you give us an overview? Well, the thing is that artificial intelligence today is everywhere, and therefore it tends to disappear. Um, I just to make a short selection of, of, of the uh, applications that I see are derived from robotics and AI, I would say that the car industry is the faster um, um, 
company or the faster type of industry in uh, adopting those technologies. We see increasingly things that came out of the lab of only 10 or 5 years ago that are used in cars, for example, um, systems that allow you not to go out of the road or systems that allow you not to sleep or that take decision on how, whether you should brake now or how you keep the distance from the next vehicles. All these things were still research topics a, a few years ago and these days uh, are in the cars. Of course, once you're in the car, you think it's a device, you push a button and you don't think there is AI behind that. Another area where artificial intelligence is these days the only solution, uh, I would say, is um, all those applications where the data are complex. So you do not have necessarily a robotic body, but you have complex data. For example, uh, typically uh, we want to understand uh, how particular genes affect uh, some diseases. And here we have data on uh, the expression of some genes with these new um, techniques uh, that we have for detecting those, but uh, it's impossible to say really what what gene is doing what uh, to, to perform, to to create the disease, and therefore artificial intelligence techniques are very useful here. Other type of uh, applications where AI is always used or is the only application used, the only type of approach used is, for example, when you want to do risk analysis or forecast. Um, for example, I think on the, uh, the market, for example, is a typical um, application, not necessarily predicting the value of a stock, but predicting the behavior of people. So I would say these are areas where artificial intelligence is making breakthrough. And uh, to conclude, finally, uh, a question about the future. Wikipedia states that some scientists believe that robots will be able to approximate human-like intelligence around 2020. Where do you see robotics and AI in 20 years? And do you think we should be afraid of a HAL 9000 or a Terminator or a Matrix? Well, I think to start with, those extrapolations about um, human-level intelligence of, of machines are based on the uh, increasing speed of computers. And uh, I believe that this is not a, a good um, extrapolation because even if computers are getting faster, these machines are not necessarily getting more intelligent. What we really still, what we really have to do still is understanding what are the principles of live lifelike intelligence and only once we get those principles right and we still haven't uncovered all of them then we can hope to go towards uh, increasing intelligence in these machines and that doesn't necessarily mean that we need faster computers so that's uh, one thing i do not believe that uh, in 20 years time we will have something like a human level intelligence around the other thing is that again over the last 20 years what has been realized is that in order to create machines that really are or look like intelligent, you have to couple them with a body. So with a robot, it is couple of perceiving the environment and by exploring this environment, it's couple of making sense of what it is perceived. Otherwise, you simply have a, a software that goes through a lot of data. So really, you need to have development in software and development in the robotic body and in the principles of intelligence. Now you could tell me, well, we have a lot of humanoid robots around, so perhaps there is hope that in 20 years we get human-like um, intelligence, but I think although humanoid research today is very popular, especially in Japan, I would say that this is very dangerous because those robots 
in my opinion, very often are like puppets. The technology in uh, mechanical and electronic systems these days, I feel, is much more advanced than technology in artificial intelligence, that is understanding intelligence. And the risk is that we will have these uh, empty frameworks that are programmed so to display a intelligent behavior, but as a matter of fact, they, they are not really intelligent. So I, I think that in 20 years we won't have human-like uh, intelligence around. Nevertheless, I believe that in 20 years we will see many more uh, small robots like personal assistants that, for example, help people or even children that need some assistance that will help us in our everyday life. This will go hand in hand with our acceptance of these machines as devices that we can rely, trust, and we can delegate more and more of the daily tasks. So I am quite uh, optimistic in that direction. I do not necessarily believe that there will be humanoid-like with human-like level intelligence. Okay, thank you very much, Dario. And uh, uh, thank you, Marcus, for running this podcast. Uh, this concludes this episode of Talking Robots with Dario Floriano from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems here in Lausanne, Switzerland. I'm Marcus Weibel. Thanks for listening. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch.